Pixelsicht. Hello and welcome to Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni. Thank you for joining me for another episode where we find out exactly what it takes to make those creative, interactive experiences that you love. We're talking about games and indie games in particular. That is what we love here at Pixel Sift. Uh, we're going to find out a story today uh, about a team based in Tasmania. Uh, we're going to find out what it takes uh, to put that all together, how they've juggled their life to bring you a game that you can play right now. And joining us to share their game this week is uh, Alicia Stone, a creative director from Tasmanian developer Myriad Games Studio. We're going to talk about where the snow settles. Alicia, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, I've really enjoyed playing through your game. Um, I can't wait for a whole bunch of other people to get their hands on it and play it as well. Um, And we'll learn a little bit about what it takes to put together uh, right now. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Where the Snow Settles is a low-poly adventure story game, a bit like a picture book, I reckon. But Alicia, for people who haven't come across it before, how would you describe what this game is? Uh, It's always a really good question. So normally I actually chat to a lot of people who aren't in games about my game. So usually I'll say it's a cross between a short story, a movie and a game. So it focuses a lot on those small interactive elements, but it is very low demand um, really easy to get into and not scary for those who consider themselves as not gamers, definitely. Is that where this game is pitched at? Is it sort of an introductory experience for people so they can kind of broaden their ex- horizons of what they think games might be? It hits a few different markets um, that are all kind of similar, but it all runs around the crux of games can be demanding, right? Sometimes you just want to be immersed in something without all the mental overload that goes with that. So this is positioned as something that you can sit down at the end of a long day at work, for example, let's just say you work nine to five and you've got, I don't know, maybe one or two hours that you've got in the day, grab a glass of wine or a cup of tea or grab a mate and you can just sit down and and relax. Um, So that's where it's aimed. It's also aimed at those typical non-gamers, so perhaps people that are a bit younger or people like me who don't typically come across as being a gamer as such but have such an interest in beautiful things and um, awesome soundtracks and cool stories and characters and things like that. So try try to be a nice entry-level game for those that aren't used to it. Can you tell us a little bit about how it actually plays? What sort of experience uh, will the player uh, be in for when they set down to, to play yeah. this game? A really good question. So it focuses a lot around curiosity and how we can um, encourage that and also reward it. So focuses a lot on exploration and just taking in the visuals around you. Um, it also focuses a lot on listening and listening to the characters' dialogue that you have with them and getting perspective on where they're at in their journey as well and taking that to build your own journey as you go along too. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a bit more passive. We have these things called focal points, which are very key moments in the game where a little border pops up and you have an important conversation with someone. And that's to highlight um, those small moments in life that might not seem important at the time, but they actually do form quite a core of your personality or um, your goals in life as you move forward as well. 
how did that, 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 I mean, the focal points was something that really sort of stood out to me because that's, I guess, their point in the game. But um, how did you come across that sort of design um, and what sort of, uh, I guess, research or thinking was behind putting those sort of elements into the interactivity of this game? It was a focal point was something that came in really late in the process of developing the game. Um, and it was sort of that nice little bow tie on the end of the experience of the game that sort of really solidified um, what we were going for, for that sort of guided but beautiful narrative. So we went through so many iterations in our grey box phase, trying to do a lot of very typical um, game interactions like sneaking around things or avoiding things or pathways and puzzles and all this sort of stuff. But we found it just ended up being still too overloading and a lot to take on, whereas we wanted to focus more on tone and atmosphere and narrative and things like that. So um, a lot of iteration. We have a lot of influence from cinema, so it does come into that as well. You have those particular shots in cinema that have certain intentions behind them, and that's where that focal point idea came from as well. Who did you get to play this game? Uh, people who had sort of slightly different perspectives than someone you might see, uh, like I did for the first time when I played this game at, at PAX Australia, people really who are really into their games and play a lot of them. Yeah, um, we did do some testing sessions very early on and we've got friends of ours that don't play games but are in places like design agencies and things like that. So they've still got sort of a creative element to their personality. So they we found were a very good fit. Um, and we also just got, you know, partners of people we knew that aren't in games as well. Utilising those close contacts in those early stages was really helpful to, to just get a gist of where this is going to sit. I think the thing that we look for is saying, I'm not a gamer, but, and it's just like, ah, all right, come over here and, and give that game a go. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the story. Obviously, it's a, a very contained sort of experience. Um, people can get through it easily. Um, was that a really key consideration when making this game, thinking about the, the time it would take uh, for someone to, to play this game? Or, or was that just a, a function of the, the team that you had and, and the resources you had available? A bit of both, actually. So, I mean, we're quite a young studio, um, so we thought that we will play to our strengths and not go for something too ambitious for starters. Definitely not a branching crazy narrative um, would be too much. But also we don't want to overload in one session either. Let's keep it simple but really make that thing meaningful and heartfelt. Um, it's just a much more um, fulfilling experience if we can do that well as opposed to doing something, you know, not as well that's more complex. Let's talk a little bit more about that kind of heartfelt feeling because it, to me, felt like a very sort of personal story, very um, simple and about really this one major relationship that kind of plays out throughout uh, this particular story with a few other characters in, in the background. Um, but what was it about it that you really wanted to capture for the players and what sort of things would you like people to come out of this with after playing your game? The main thing that the story does touch on, I guess there's two main narrative strands that we call them. Um, the first one is this sister narrative between the main character Aurelia and her older sister Esther. Um, that obviously stems a lot from my experience. I have a twin sister who is also part of the studio and we worked on the game together. So it would be silly of me to deny that that's not an influence, that's for sure. Um, but just focusing on the importance of those relationships that then help you get through these periods of unknown and liminality and change and they can be quite scary and you don't really know how to get through them but it's always those people closest to you 
that you can either learn from, they don't have to be there all the time, but you can take their learnings and their perspectives to help get you through tricky situations if you need assistance. So um, I think the unknown was a big thing that we wanted to focus on. Uh, As going into this whole project, there were so many unknowns, but it's something that we all come across every single day, but people don't talk about it that much. So the more that we can talk about these scary, daunting experiences that actually lead to really positive things in your life, the better, I think. Um, how did that relationship with your sister play out in the making of this game? Who was the person who was kind of pushing forward and or was there a bit of a back and forth? I think we have a pretty even sort of split. Our, our um, skill sets are quite different. So she handles QA. She's a QA master, but she's also taking on the animation and coding side of things, whereas I took on the narrative side and the art direction and the creative direction. So it was a really complimentary skill set in that in that situation. Thankfully, we're very, very close and we don't fight and we've come out of this stronger than ever. So, so it's still close after making a game because that's not, a, not an easy no, thing to do. No, that's it. And, like, our whole team is like that. We've been through tricky things, but because if you're going to approach something with clear expectations and understanding, then that does help you get through those sorts of things too. Um, obviously, with game dev, there is so many ups and downs along the way. Exactly. Yeah. Lots of things changing all the time. And, and, you know, your team as well, I know, were juggling a lot of other responsibilities as well, because this was something that you uh, were a team that's come together, but mostly sort of like a part-time team. Is that right? You were working on top of other requirements and other jobs as well? Yeah, that's it. So when we actually started the studio um, back in early 2015-ish, it all originated from a game jam. And that came from the Taz Jam experiences run by Taz Game Makers at the time. And we came together, a few of us out of university, some of us still in university, um, and others of us, we hadn't even met each other yet. So um, we came into this very early. Um, A lot of us, well, all of us were actually in work um, when it came to starting work on this particular game. So we all have full-time jobs in other industries. Uh, Most of us are in design slash tech agencies um, doing coding or design or production but we also have one of our team members who comes from engineering. So he's been a site lead in construction sites and things like that too. So very, very different um, industries. Um, we've definitely found that that's been an advantage because those skills that we've taken from our day jobs can help us identify risks and um, learn how to communicate with each other. And also just simple things like what sort of software management tool are we going to use? Let's use one we already know and we can teach each other how to use it. So. It definitely has its advantages, um, but it also comes with a lot of challenges. Most of us were on one to two days a week tops. Um, Some of us were lucky enough to work four days a week in our day jobs, but most of us um, had been five days at some point. So we were hacking away on this game in our evenings and our weekends. Um, To get through that, we'd often meet together in person and you know, have cheese or cake or something and and work through it. And there's been a lot of wholesome times as part of that as well. How how do you manage your time, manage your life, um, if you've got jobs and other things in there, without spending all your life, all your energy burning out completely? What have you done as a studio to keep uh, everything at a sort of a nice even keel? Really good question. And there's a couple of key things that we've done to help with that. The first one is setting expectations, so really being clear to each other what our actual capacity is. And if we're not feeling okay on a certain day, then that comes first, the studio comes second. We're not at the behest of a publisher 
or anything like that. We are paying our bills with our day jobs. So it's usually easier for us to be better to our mental health and take a day um, and come back to it later refreshed and that helps with relationships too. Um, the other important thing to sort of make sure that we can keep on track of it is knowing your limits um, and also setting boundaries. I really loved coming into this games project as I was going into my real world career because it helped me disconnect from my real world career and switch context outside of work and vice versa. And I think that's a really healthy skill to learn, particularly early on in your career when you can feel like there's so much pressure and so many things you need to learn. Um, and it just helps you take a step back and really take a look at how you're doing and what your priorities are. With that, I, I, you know, it sounds like, you know, taking time, making sure that things were, were balanced and that, how do you then make sure that the project doesn't drag out forever? What were those uh, particular milestones that you set for yourself that were, one, manageable, uh, but also achievable within a reasonable time frame? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first easy thing we can do is cut scope. Uh, we've all learned that lesson. If you want to ship it, you've got to cut. Cut everywhere you can but keep the things that fit your skill set and your strengths and that's the thing that you can get through. Um, we also found, yeah, setting milestones was really helpful for us. So our first big one was producing a vertical slice, really getting an idea of what were all the different department learnings we needed to go through to be able to get this to a point that we wanted to get it to. Um, but once we'd gone through that, we'd actually consulted with quite a few people and learned a lot more about the actual production process once you've done that brutal concept. Um, so having those consultants really helped, um, but knowing when to ship it, you've got to become so much less personally attached to your work if you want to ship a game. Otherwise, you'll never get it done. And I think we definitely found that closer to the end. We all are ready to, to wrap it up. But also because you've got multiple people in the team, you need to balance those different um, expectations with each other. Someone might be like, okay, cool, I've finished this part, then maybe I'll have a little bit of a break while we focus on some other things um, and just making sure that that expectation sort of always aligned along the way. Milestones definitely help with that. Um, another big one we had was PAX in 2018, which is when we first showed the game to the public. Um, that was good for us too to really get a good understanding of how people in this community, in the gaming community, sort of reacted to our game. Um, and just getting that outsider perspective was was really good too. Um, yeah. What What are some of those perspectives that you looked at or, or experienced while you were showing it at one of the biggest conventions in Australia uh, that kind of shaped the way that the game um, was developed over the next couple of years? I think it really helped us understand what the core components of the game were that also connected with people. Um, there's definitely, there can be a split between what you want to do on the game versus what's realistic in terms of, what you want to ship to or if you want to go to a certain platform or if you want to work with a certain artist or something like that, you need to make sure that you've got a good realistic understanding of where it's going to be positioned to. Well, I remember playing it, uh, I think, back in 2018. And, you know, from my memories, casting back, it feels like 100 years has happened since that time. But, um, you know, it felt like the bones of what we were looking at were very much there at that point. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you've sort of built out this world um, and sort of changed uh, it into something that can be played uh, on Xbox uh, right as we speak? Yeah, Um I think we were lucky in that we are a young studio and we were working on our first major title and we 
just happened to sort of communicate exactly what we wanted to communicate. I think we hit a bit of luck in that sense, but I think our day jobs also help to refine that into something that is a bit more market ready um, to sort of avoid any major changes after the PAX build happens. So we focused a lot on building out the different levels and finalising the narrative and just working on those final models and shaders and all those bits and pieces. Um, that was when we started working heavily with our composer as as well um, to figure out how the palette's going to sound over the whole game and that gets really exciting. So, yeah, um, I think we got very lucky in that sense but we also, I think perspectives from different industries also really helps to help position yourself and take an external perspective on how you might be perceived in the games industry and also outside of the games industry too. Um, sound was something I really did notice as I was playing through the game and I actually had each character kind of had their own uh, musical characterization or motif as they were talking. It was kind of like instrumentation would play. Um, how did that idea come about? And, uh, you know, what was the sort of uh, technical challenges behind putting something like that together? That was a beautiful solution that came out of a really tricky constraint. Um, we're all big fans of things like Zelda games and stuff like that. So it's like, okay, you want to have a voice per character or um, you want to have dialogue for each character, but we just did not have the budget or the time to even tackle something like that. So we just consulted with Az and he came up with this idea and it was just perfect the first time we saw it. Um, he played... Uh, we have a, this, the older sister, Esther, she's got a koto uh, instrument as her sort of main main instrument and you just know when you hear it, it just feels right for that character and I think it's a really strong way of communicating a character's identity um, in a very cheap way technically in terms of you don't have to write dialogue for it, you don't have to put interaction things in your code to make that happen. Um, it's, it's a sound and it's really effective and can be reused. I don't. I don't know if you'll know this reference, but for me, it really reminded me of um, the, the TV show Peanuts um, when the parents are talking. There's like a trumpety sound whenever they're uh, when the, they just hear this, bah, 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 bah. and even though it doesn't sound like that at all, but that was my immediate thought when it was coming through. So that, I, I, that is going to land very well with our producer. He's a big Peanuts fan. Um, tell me about the the look of this game because it is really uh, really quite striking, and some of the lighting in it is really beautiful for for what is. Uh, nominally got quite sort of simple low polygon models um, but it feels like a pretty well-developed world how did you develop the look of of what uh, this game is I think that's sort of also born from constraint so we've got a small team we've only got one person that can do models we can't do high poly models so let's go with something simple and then we have a look at okay how does that sit do we want it softer do we want it to look harsher and just adding those layers, so adding lights on for softness, using your shader to add a bit of texture to soften that even further, and then just building that into an overall palette um, that we wanted to say. Um, we have so many Pinterest boards with different games and illustrations and things like that that we've referred to and compositions from movies like Blade Runner or The Revenant um, also formed really great inspirations for forming that, that art style. So... I think one of the constraints we had early on was we must do low poly and a lot of our heavy lifting needs to be done through shaders if we want to add detail. So I think that sort of helped just being realistic about what we were working in because then you could be really creative within those known bounds. 
Um, one thing that was also really interesting to me, and you've talked a bit about the cinematic influence on the design of this game. This game plays with in letterbox. Uh, what was the design decision behind putting it in that? Oh, that was an interesting design discussion that we had in the team a lot of the time. And I think this comes to known patterns in media that we use. So you sit down at a, uh, at a cinema screen, generally you're okay with whatever aspect ratio that they present to you. Um, you just sort of take that as one small component of the overall look. And I think that just helps solidify where our game sort of has its roots with strong influences in cinematic universe, but also control over composition and things like that. They are very striking, long, narrow compositions um, that sort of give that idea of vastness uh, to the world that you've got. It's I, I, I can, outside of cutscenes, I don't think I've really ever seen it being done uh, before, um, you know, is that something that, uh, you know, people have played and not picked up or is it something that kind of sits in the background or is it something that you, the feedback has been that, you know, universally people see it and they go, oh, it looks like a like a film? I'll be honest, you're the first person who's brought it up. Oh, really? There we go. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you mentioned that, you know, you've got a good position where you were. You're a young studio. You're obviously learning a lot of lessons for the very first time uh, and taking advice from others. But I'm wondering, what are some of the big pieces of advice that others gave you um, that you find, uh, you know, really changed the way you either thought or the way that you worked on this particular game? Uh, early on, we worked with Leah Mensler, who is known in the, the games community here in Melbourne. Um, thankfully, Screen Tasmania gave us some funding to, to fill one of our gaps, which at the time was production. So that's why we got Liam down to, to just give us some consulting for a few days and go through some workshops. And one of the main pieces of advice he gave in that workshop, I can remember him saying it, was you need to be aware of your knowns, your known unknowns and your unknown unknowns. Um, and that really helps us to ground ourselves and really just be realistic about how much we need to learn to get this done and also be okay with that process too and being comfortable with unknowns I think that helps you day to day no matter what you're doing so that was some fantastic advice from Liam. If you had your time again starting this process over from the beginning what is something you wish you knew at the very beginning of this project that you could have carried the whole way through and perhaps, uh, you know, changed something you did or, or, or some advice that could have reframed the way you were thinking? That's a really good question. Or did you nail it and it's been fine? Oh, God, we definitely did not nail it. I don't think anyone could, could nail it first go. I think, I think it would be being kind to myself, honestly. I think it's it's easier as a team when you see other people working um, one or two days a week and you're working five days at your day jobs. You've only got an afternoon that week and it's, it's easy to go, I should really push myself just to make sure I'm not letting down the team. Um, we do have healthy ways of chatting to each other about that every week, but there's always just that inherent, you want to do good with your friends and, and do a really good job. So I think going back... Um, I would be more kind on myself to not push myself just as hard as I did, perhaps. <laughs> and that's good advice for anyone in any creative field at any time, at any point of anything. It just, just seems like a good idea to do. You are a team that has, uh, you know, a number of different uh, skill sets, but you've also got different jobs, right? So this project, now that it's finished, 
what's the future of Myriad Game Studio? Is it something that continues on? Is it something to achieve a goal and now it's it's done? Where where does it sit? It's a bit of both. So the main reason we started this whole process in the first place was to gain knowledge about game development. For some of us, that meant with the goal of getting hired in games for full time, and that has happened for some of us already, which is fantastic. Um, For others, it's just a means for a creative or a technical or a learning outlet as well. So it's already achieved those goals too. Um, Some of us want to keep going with Myriad Game Studio after this release happens. Um, Some of us want to move on and and focus on some smaller things or some other life things. We've got a lot of life happening in the background too. How about for you? What does it look like for you? For me, it looks like um, I'm going to have a little bit of a break, maybe learn to play an instrument, just have a bit of a break from a screen. I'm on a screen all day, every day, day job and games job, so I think I'm going to move away from that. Just for a few months. When people are sitting down to play your game, what uh, what sort of mind frame should they be in? Where, where should they be at? And what do you hope people get out of it once it's been played? I hope people have a sense of fulfilment or warmth or um, just satisfaction in having taken themselves away from their daily stresses for an hour or so. Um, and just forget about those sorts of things on a day-to-day basis. So it is there primarily to be a relaxing and a rejuvenating experience, um, but also just remember what the important things in life are, having those small moments um, and taking your time out of the day to be grateful for those as well. It's uh, available uh, for people to play as you're listening to this. So look for uh, where the snow settles or you can put in myriadgamestudio.com. If you want to find out a bit of information, there's also going to be links uh, to the game uh, in the show notes of this particular episode. Uh, Alicia Stone, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your game, uh, telling us a little bit about how it came together. Sounds like a lot of lessons learnt there, but something really valuable for, for you and the people at Myriad. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Thanks for having me. Pixel Sift is produced by Fiona Bartholomeus, Nicholas Kennedy, Daniel Ang, Sarah Island, Viv Thumb, and Adam Christou. Uh, Mitchell Lowe is our senior producer, and my name is Gianni Giovanni. I'm the executive producer. As always, as I mentioned there, we'll be putting links to everything we talk- talked about in the show notes of this episode. You can find that on our website, which is pixelsift.com.au, or in your podcast player as well. While you're at it, give us a follow on uh, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Search for Pixel Sift, one word. Pixel Sift on social media or join us on Discord, pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord, where you can share about your creative work, share works in progress, talk about uh, things that are making the news in games or share a game with someone else, anything else, we'd love to have you there. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. And like indie games, uh, sharing these stories uh, is important. It really makes a difference. Uh, one extra person you can tell about uh, the podcast or, or a game that you've heard about on this show uh, really makes a difference to these creative teams. So if you think someone enjoys uh, either this podcast or one of our games, uh, we'd love for you to tell your friends and tell them that they'll enjoy it. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, have fun. Have fun.